John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 386.EC0804, certificate number 24409, the Duke of Anjou. you describe how would you describe the protests of a couple of months ago what what how is history going to remember them what are the you know are they going to be called the the revolution of 2020 um, it's too soon to say yeah i right. mean we're, we're still kind of enmeshed uh, is it, i've been calling them police riots just police to, riots. just to get people mad at me on twitter let's call it that the police riots of 2020 i don't know if you saw but during uh during the police riots at one point in uh, louisville Kentucky, a protester jumped up on the statue of Louis Sixteen, Louis uh, Soison, the namesake of the city. Yeah, wait, Louisville is named for Louis the Sixteenth, beheaded in the French Revolution. That's interesting. I believe it is interesting. I believe that's true. You believe it's interesting. <laughs> I believe it's interesting. That's one of my core beliefs that this is interesting. He, uh, a protester jumped up and broke off the right hand of the statue of Louis the Sixteenth. I feel like head would be better. Jumped down into the crowd. It's a giant hand. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a, a stone hand as big as your head. What's it made of that you can just pop it off? Is it easy made out of toffee? Uh, you know, that's a good question. Whether it's terracotta or or. Because if it's a bronze, you're not going to be able to no. just... No, it's not a bronze. It's it's probably masonry, um, given how easily it came off. But the guy just popped off the hand. Just popped off the hand and, and uh, ran away, and, now, you know, under- as you would. Now, I can understand how this is uh, targeting a lot of Confederate statues. Right. Because of the, uh, you know, the racial element in the police action that led to the protest. Right. But... It's not clear what the anti-French sentiment or, or the in, in the video, anti-Bourbon feeling. In the video, it is unclear, and it appears to me at least, that he meant to just grab the hand and swing on it, and then the hand <laughs> broke off, and so he just jumped down into the crowd and presumably kept the hand, as he would. I would, too. Do you think he was looting for the hand? I, I don't think. I think this I'm was, hoping to get a flat-screen TV 
and the right hand of King Louis the Sixteenth. I believe, like most of the protests during the police riots of 2020, this was a peaceful protest, and he and the statue was just the highest thing you could climb on. And then he grabbed the hand. The hand came off. You know, a lot of times when you're in a situation like that, you improvise. <laughs> do you uh, think? Do you think King Louis had one of those prank hands? <laughs> and then his real hand comes yeah, out of the out of his out of his uh, baggy overcoat. In sleeve. the way I used to decorate my house, uh, a giant masonry hand of of uh, of Louis the Sixteenth would have fit right perfectly on my mantle. What are some of the things you would have? You would just put it on your mantle. I think so. I'd put it there, and people would say, "What the heck is that?" And I'd go, "Oh." Let me tell you the story. I mean, you could put something in it. I don't know what the hand is doing, but I mean, it's not obviously not big enough to be one of those chairs that cups your buttocks that looks like a hand. I think this hand is big enough that you could it could be cradling a basketball. Oh, it could, oh, it could hold a globe, but of the world as it appeared in 1780. Uh, that's yeah. Look at that. You could it could hold a cocktail shaker. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else you would. You would put in it. Uh, you could, oh, oh, the the skull of Yorick. <laughs> just really like put a spin on it. But if it's an oversized hand, it would just look like a very small skull. That would be even weirder, right? <laughs> just a guy holding a little person skull. Or get a giant skull, the giant skull of Yorick. See, this is the kind of stuff I used to put on my mantle in order to entice people into my web of of uh, storytelling and bamboozling. And then I would kill them in the basement. I feel like drink their blood. If we're going to get out the guillotines for the rich, yeah, the guillotines for the rich. Let's say we are. What? The, here's the here's what why you go wrong. Here's why you can't guillotine the rich. <laughs> here's then. why you can't guillotine the rich. <laughs> <laughs> then uh, the hand of a guillotined guy would be a potent symbol. Well, there are an awful lot of those, aren't there? Um, relics of of the great kings and religious <laughs> figures. Why not? But this isn't really his hand. This is just the hand of a statue. It's the closest thing we have to his hand in America, because we do not have a lot of statues of French kings right. here in the colonies. Right. And and the the thing is that this, this, at the time of this recording, remains unresolved, because there are, predictably, people that were offended by, the, by breaking the hand off of this statue. And I think most prominently, uh, a tweet appeared— as tweets do, a tweet appeared. <laughs> Suddenly, a wild tweet appears. <laughs> uh, from, um, from someone who's been on my list of uh, omnibus topics from the very beginning. How, when was the first time I told you about, uh, about the topic of today's show? It was, we were like five or ten shows in. Yeah, and was, I was like, I've got a great idea. Was it Marilyn Vassavant? Did, was, did she tweet about this? <laughs> no. In fact, it was the man himself, Louise de Bourbon, Duc d'Anjou, who is... He's the Duke of Anjou. The Duke of Anjou. He eats Anjou. He styles himself Duke d'Anjou in Sty- French. He styles himself. He styles himself Duke d'Anjou. We all have to style ourselves we, lately. All the, all the salons are closed. We do. I style myself with Brill Cream. <laughs> but you say that as if maybe no one else thinks Louis he should be so Brillant. styled. Ah, there are lots of people who believe he should be this style, thusly styled. There are lots of people who do not believe he should be thusly styled. As I'll explain in a moment. But, but look, if we're letting people choose their own pronouns, it's go, it goes without saying they should be allowed to choose their own aristocratic <laughs> titles. <laughs> well, in that case, I am John Roderick, retired director of the Central Intelligence Agency. Uh, it can only and be, former, former U.S. senator from the state of Alaska. I feel like they can only be royalist titles. You can't redo oh. a resume. Oh. You just have to say, I'm the, I'm the, uh, the Earl of Burien. Sure. 
Sure. The Duke of Normandy Park. That's a great title. The Duke of Normandy Park. That should be your next record. I know. I should get a, you know, if I was called, were I to be called the Duke of Normandy Park, I believe I should have a lowrider Cadillac. <laughs> also be living in a kind of a like post-apocalyptic city. I wonder if Normandy actually has Dukes. Well, the Duke de Normandy. Probably. Well, right. I just saw. So. If I understand, I mean, in England, cities are now assigned more or less randomly. You, you, you just become the the Duke of Cambridge because there wasn't one. There's a certain amount of that. There's a certain amount of, uh, we need to find a title for this person, so we're going to resurrect a Duke that hasn't been around in, in 600 years. And it's, and it's historical accident now, for example, that the, uh, the heir apparent to the, the oldest son of the reigning British monarch is the Prince of Wales. There's really no connection with Wales, and in fact, Wales sometimes protests right. when the king shows. Like they said, remember when they shipped off Prince Charles yeah. to go to Wales for a, one episode? I mean, for uh, six months, <laughs> so that he could like uh, learn a little Welsh, get in and... touch with his Welsh. It's just some accident of of history that he even has that in his name, but he has to pretend he cares now about about Welsh people. What's interesting is that the the Queen of England has not invested anyone in a hereditary dukedom. In many, 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 many years. Just because she's so busy? Uh, no, I'm not even sure that Elizabeth II has ever done it. I think that the last time that you, the last time that a, uh, that a royal said, you are now the Duke of Marlborough or whatever, and that entitles you to estates and land. I mean, you know, to give someone a hereditary title also implies that you're giving them a royal grant of land and money and income and, and deer and, yeah, and a certain number of casks of sure. ale a well, year. Serfs, you're going to have to get some serfs, right? And so, since the royal family doesn't really have that power anymore, I mean, they could, but they, they don't would want, they would run out of land and deer and serfs very quickly. There has to be some land and deer and serfs that aren't currently being used by by regular people. But in the day that and that would continue to your whole. Through your lineage. Sure. I mean, all the dukes that we know now are dukes because at some point, some monarch said, I'm going to give you all of Herefordshire and do with it what you will um, because it needs a ruler because what are we going to do? Just have serfs running around making their own decisions? So does the queen actually create any new titles that are just kind of honorary for lifetime only? Yeah. That, in fact, oh, almost okay. all of them are. And even, I mean, the, the when people get, when when the duke of of Cambridgeshire or whatever, when, when some royal gets granted a dukedom, a lot of times that's just, they're just trying to figure out a way to describe the relationship. Like it's this, technically he's a grandson of the queen. So he's got to have something, it's got to sound good. It's got to be a good title, but we don't have any like actual titles with power lying around. So, and any title that a queen gives you today is, um, it only, lasts the course of your life there. She's not giving away any hereditary titles anymore. So if you're knighted or granted some, um, some Royal title, your kid doesn't get it. Which is true of most titles in our country too. Like if I win an American music award, right? My kid does not become an American music award winner at my death. That's true. If I won a medal of honor or a presidential medal of freedom, it would not confer to my child. No. Um, that's why Jesse Owens sold off all his gold medals. He knew his kids weren't going to become gold medalists. Right. Sure. What, what good is a gold medal? Nothing. Nothing. Sits on your mantle in a giant bourbon hand. That's right. But 
in the case of royal families, of course, this stuff and the fact that there aren't new ones probably makes the old ones seem even better. It's, uh, it's become a trope in, in culture that, uh, that there's something cool about discovering that you're actually, it's a child fantasy that you might actually be the, the lost prince of, of something, it. the end of a dynasty. My whole childhood, I imagined that someone was going to knock on the door dressed, uh, someone was going to ride a white horse up to the door and say, coaching four. Turns out you are the Duke d'Anjou. Why do kids, I thought that too. Why do kids even think that? Where is that even coming from? There's a, there's a, there's a kind of magical, and I'm thinking in the United States too, a, a magical sense that those of us of, of European lineage maybe are, the first time you hear like, oh, maybe you're related to some ancient royal family and you hear the idea that you know uh, that through some paperwork found in a vault that Jodie Foster is actually the the uh Duchess of Anjou and inherits a castle it just feels like like a version of winning the lottery but one that also grants you authority you're that, not just rich. Is that the plot of the movie Candleshoe? Or yeah. You, oh, okay. I was, I was wondering where that came from. <laughs> Sorry. I use Princess Diaries for that reference. Yeah, no, but no. Candleshoe is, is how far I have to go back. Candleshoe is on Disney+. Plus. Candleshoe, I remember being very exciting, but I've been watching a lot of 70s movies with my daughter, and they are all really troubling. Not just problematic, but, like, troubling. You've been watching the Disney Plus 70s movies? Uh, we watched the original Freaky Friday. I'm a mm-hmm. Jodie Foster fan, but we watched uh, the Revenge of the Pink Panther. We watched it's not on Disney Plus. Not on Disney Plus, but we watched. Uh, what are some of the other ones? Um, Herbie the Love Bug. The thing about a lot of those old movies is that all of the parents are either drunks or very neglectful. There's a lot of just like what we would call child abuse. That's a kind of. We watched Annie, and it's uh, it's. It's brutal. We're watching Anne of Green Gables. You didn't tell me, Ken. We talk about Anne of Green Gables all the time. I'd never seen it. You didn't tell me it was a freaking horror show. Anne is absolutely... Watching Anne of Green Gables, I'm like, I'm sitting down to watch an hour of a little girl getting brutalized by every single person in her life? She's an orphan. That's what happens to fictional orphans. You thought because it was Canada, they were going to be nice to her. Well, and I'm watching it with my daughter and her mother, and they're both like... I, there's some something I think uh, there's something about women watching other women get brutalized where they're like you know just chomping at the popcorn watching Anne just get rejected by everybody it's, and I'm like it's the secret of true crime podcasting this is really hurting my feelings it's it's, it's uh, affluent safe women who like to hear about <laughs> some other woman getting cut into pieces in a trunk I had to go upstairs and cry in my pillow and I came back down and was like why are you still watching this and they both looked up at me like are you kidding this is amazing. And it's a great show, but come but on. you don't have the constitution. For, I don't for Anna Green Gables. No, no, it hurt. It hurt. And I, you know, I sat down thinking this was going to be like, like uh, a little house on the prairie, and Anne of Green Gables was going to be out gathering flowers and and maybe see a fox or something. I didn't realize that she was going to have her hand, you know, like have some kids dangling a rat under her nose. Well, maybe at the end she'll turn out to be the lost princess of uh, oh. Ruritania or something. Wait, wait. So you never hope. know. The uh, Louis de Bourbon Duc d'Anjou, however, has a pretty good sense of where he belongs in the big picture. And you mentioned his tweet. He was he was mad at the desecration. Wait, uh, his his tweet reads as follows: As the heir of 
Hashtag Louis says. Hashtag Louis hashtag, says. I mean, it's hashtag Louis the 16th, but he would say Louis says. And attached to the defense of his memory. He's attached to the defense of his memory. I can uh, see how you would defend his memory. Yes. I'm not sure why you would attach yourself to such the defense. Well, it's some kind of thing. I do hope that the damage will be repaired and that the statue will be restored. I already thank the capitalized authorities for the measures they will take for that. Hashtag Louisville, hashtag Louisville protests, hashtag Kentucky. Is that, how, he, is that how you found this by looking up hashtag Kentucky? I'm or were you looking up hashtag Louis says? No, hashtag Kentucky is always, it's like one of my search terms. <laughs> he does not say hashtag Black Lives Matter, uh, which turns out was, was uh, not an accident. <laughs> pr- prescient of him. <laughs> And also not an accident. <laughs> well, if he's capitalizing authorities. Yeah. I mean, I just associate that with fascism now. Well, of Because course. Trump's always capitalizing country or uh, responsibility or strong or whatever. He doesn't really know how capitalization works. No. No, one's, no one's walked him through it. But Louis de Bourbon, Duc d'Anjou, is um, the pretender to the throne of France. He, France does not have a throne. France does not have a throne. Like so many European nations, no longer has a throne, but there are people who wish that it were not so. And in his case, wishes specifically that the throne existed and he were, and his butt were in it. Well, so it's not clear to me in, in following, avidly following um, uh, Prince Louis, how much he really wants the throne of France. It seems, it seems to me that the throne of France, were you to reinstate um, the king of France, it would sure be a lot of work. Well, he's got an out. He can say, I am the legitimate heir, Yes, but there is no throne. I'm not a monarchist. Precisement. So if there were a throne, I just want you guys to know, it would be me. He is, I don't think he would say he's not a monarchist. The thing about Louis de Bourbon, Bourbon, is that um, the he is the last in uh, the line, how do I not say the last, because he's not the last, but there is, the French throne is one, or was one, of the oldest in Europe, and it represented this is uh, this is insane to think about, but it represented an unbroken line of succession from Hugh Capet. Isn't that like in like 900? 987. Jeez. There was, a, there was an unbroken line of succession from then until 1792 in the French Revolution. Did France go nuts in 1987 when it was the uh, thousandth anniversary of their of their monarchy? In 1980, I, I don't know what was going on in France in 1987. I mean, they're listening to the to the Whitney Houston record. The thing is, and in, I think it was 1989. Well, that, that would have was been the 200th, 200th anniversary of the of the uh, storming of the Bastille or whatever. The for the yes. what what is the French Independence Day? It's um, uh, July 14th. Yeah, Bastille Day. Bastille Day. Yeah. So uh, so that was 89. I was there for that, and they. Boy, there were a lot of fireworks. But I'm just saying, you don't get to have a thousand year anniversary very often. And did they? Well, unfortunately, did they do that? Were they dancing in the streets to Starship? I wasn't there in in uh, 1987, but 
the unfortunately the line did not continue unbroken. Oh, because they deposed and eliminated the royal family not once, not twice, but as many times as you could count. Because the uh, the House of Bourbon, the Capets, were reinstated after the hundred days after Napoleon was was sent packing. Well, first the first time he was sent packing, and then when he came back, then uh, he then there was that hundred day period where there wasn't a king on the throne, and right. then they reinstated it again. So, in fact, the last French king um, lasted until eighteen forty eight. But that's still. But there were no. Um, there's no. Like in an analog to the English thing where they ran out of, uh, what they ran out of heirs, tutors, and had to start importing Stuarts, and then they ran out of Stuarts and had to get some Dutch people in. Oh boy, is there? Oh, it's complicated. I don't believe that you could have an unbroken line of succession from 987 to 1792 without a little bit of fudging. There's some asterisks, and what ends up happening is that the first son dies and then the second son dies and so the brother you know every succession has it's sort of like if the president dies the vice president takes over and then the secretary of state and whatnot and eventually you get to prince harry and so anytime you see a royal a european royal or really any kind of royal you if they are at all related in uh, at any distance from queen victoria they're it's one of the things that European royals do is mention where they are in the line of succession they know for the th- English throne. They know their number? Yeah. It's like knowing what number of Microsoft IPO stock you were? Yeah, and I think Louis de Bourbon is a great, great, great grandson of Queen Victoria, and so is 197th in line for the for the throne of England also. So things really are going to have to go his way with that yeah. one. There would have to, I think, be some kind of nuclear explosion in all the major European cities, and he would have to be in the Dominican Republic. They'd have to put all the people together at some point and forget to have a designated survivor. Yeah, right. They'd have a huge bash where all the all the royals were there, and and Louis de Bourbon would not be invited, and so and, and, and for, the, the for plane, some reason, and the plane crashes <laughs> in the Caribbean. That's right. Um, this is the plot of King Ralph. Even trying to study the. Um, the line that would lead us to our contemporary here, the Duke d'Anjou, to just connect him back to the last French king. In the 1840s. Um, is so impossible, <laughs> uh, so impossibly complex, that, uh, that it, it, it really caused me to pull my hair out. Because it seems like it should be exceedingly simple. Part of the problem is that every other person in this family is either named Louis or Henri, um, but also the royal houses of all the different European nations are intertwined. People marry one another's daughters, sisters, cousins. There's a lot of um, there. A, a lot of people assume uh, royal titles where they are collecting titles both from their mother and father's families. And in a lot of cases, they are 
the both the duke and the prince of the same thing because they they um because they're their own grandpa uh so that also kind of garbles the water and is he but is he a, did lines peter out or is he a direct descendant of the last or is he a, of the last bourbon king or is he some kind of cousin or great nephew or? well it depends on what you mean by direct descendant so in the in in ye olden Frankish times, and I'm talking about a long time before the Capets, now 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 in the year 500, there was um, instituted what's called the Salic Law. We have we have what it's called in Louisiana, the uh, Salic Law. It's the Salic Law. It's Marlon Brando. My uh, my son, he speaks when he should listen. I don't think it's got by that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's streetcar. But okay, go on. I want you should do me a favor. The Salic Law was there were the Salic Law had a lot of like s- small laws, but King Clovis uh, <laughs> put forth. This is why they're all named Louis and Henri now, because right. otherwise you get embarrassing names like Clovis. Oh my God, King Clovis would be a great name for a cat. <laughs> uh, King Clovis, you know, Salic Law was kind of like the was like Norman law. It it was at the in in its moment, kind of like a uh, a clarifying law that straightened out a lot of people who a lot of questions that people had, and one of those questions was how do royal families how do, how does uh, does a title succeed from one generation to the next? And Salic law was the one that said uh, that a royal line is only going to descend through the male line. It was. Um, it was just the style of the time. It's not firstborn. It's firstborn male. Firstborn male, right. So you could have five daughters and then a son, and the son is going to be the one that inherits the crown. And the Salic law, through the Franks, then through the Germans and and uh, and Holy Roman Empire, and it became kind of the dominant way of thinking in the royal houses of Europe. Now, there are... Lots and lots and lots of uh, nations of the world that that don't follow Salic law. And United States, for example, the United States, Thailand. That's why Ivanka won't be president. Although Thailand, I don't know. Uh, but you know, the Queen, uh, like England, at some point decided that the Salic law didn't apply. The uh, it's fairly recent, I think. The English idea that the crown would not would not pass to the the son, younger sons before older daughters. Yeah. Um, and that's true in a lot of uh, a lot of the European families because as the and when we talked about this very recently in our German telegrams episode, um, you get into matters of diplomacy and in particular the competition between the Habsburgs and the Hohenzollerns and the Bourbons for um, a balance of power in Europe meant that you weren't you weren't always going to be able to put the the person with the most the most legitimate claim because that person would disturb um would bes- disturb the delicate balance of nations oh interesting you have to have some compromise candidate with a and so, and so that gets legitimized even though on paper there's people ahead of him yeah and what what ends up happening is that you'll have three different people with a pretty legitimate claim and the way that it gets decided is whose great grandmother held the, held 
her title the longest or whose great grandmother, like right now in European royalty, seniority is determined by who has been on the throne the longest. So if you got all the royals together from around the world, I think the emperor of Japan would, uh, I, I, I guess Queen Elizabeth's been it's, on the throne a lot longer. It's got to be Queen Elizabeth. Queen Elizabeth would be first, but like the emperor of Japan would be. And what is this? Who gets served the soup first? Yeah, right. Like who walks in first or who who's on the top of the bill? Who goes after the puppet show and who goes before the puppet show? <laughs> There's a bill. I'm looking at the list right now of the longest reigning monarchs. And for a long time, it was the king of Thailand, but right. he passed away a few years ago. And I think there was a Swazi king at some point, but now he's gone as so well. So is it Elizabeth at the top? It is Elizabeth. I mean, it's it would be tough to reign longer unless you'd taken the throne at the age of four. Like, she's near all time. In in two years, she will pass Johann II of Liechtenstein. Huh. Who reigned between 1858 and 1829. High five. And then a month later, she Wait, will- 1858 act- and 1929. Sorry, 1929, yeah. yes. He did not travel back in time. And then in a month after that, sometime in 2022, she will pass uh, the recently deceased king of Thailand. And then in about 2024, she will become the all-time champion if she can outlive Louis XIV, who lasted so long that I think his great-grandson actually- uh, succeeded him on the throne of France. Well, Louis the Fourteenth absolutely plays a role in our story uh, because Louis the Fourteenth is the ancestor that it, that connects Louis de Bourbon, Duc d'Anjou, to the throne of France, um, and that is because uh, Louis the Fourteenth's long reign set in motion some confusing uh some confusing questions yeah if somebody refuses to die all the people who thought they were successors are going to start dying one by one well th- th- there's that and also there became a um there 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 became a difficulty how how do i say that not phrased in in the passive voice there became a difficulty um by the way, the Sultan of Brunei is currently in second place. Is that right? 52 and a half years. The Sultan of Brunei. Who would have thought? And Elizabeth's on this list so many times because she's also the head of state of St. Vincent and Grenadines and Belize and New right. Zealand. So she's on this list 30 times. I, I would clean this up a little. So Louis Fourteenth, Louis his eldest son, the Grand Dauphin, and his... Other sons, Philip and Charles, all watched their father as he became the longest-lived monarch in and, and remaining until this day, reigned for 72 years and 100 days, Jeez. plus or minus. And so a lot went on during that era, the result of which being that when he died, the new king of France, styled Louis XV, was actually his great-grandson. Um, and he ascended to the throne at the age of five. So when you think of Louis XIV and then you think of Louis XV, you think, oh, it must have been, you know, like his oldest son. But in fact, it was his great-grandson. 
his parents, his dad must have died young if he's, if he's taken the throne at five. Well, so there was a lot of dying young, but also um, during this period, there became, uh, boy, there I am again with the passive voice. Um, the king of Spain, Charles III, died without an heir. And in dying without an heir, he turned to his um, his relatives, which is to say uh, the many, many other royal Co- fa- families of Europe. Cousins and whatnot. Cousins and cousins of daughters of cousins, and tried to appoint to the throne of Spain one of the Bourbon sons of the Sun King, Louis Fourteenth. And they had to, each in their sort of time, um, like the Grand Dauphin could not accept the the crown of Spain because the crown of France was a bigger, better prize. He could have. He, he just... could have. But he passed on the, the, the kingdom of Spain. And it, wa- it, was, uh, it was Philip, who was a younger son of the, the Dauphin. So the Dauphin had several kids and his oldest son louis the duke of burgundy also could have taken the throne of spain but also passed he's still holding out he's still holding out mm. he 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 believes that he is you know the grandson of louis the 14th he's on, he's in line well also he lives in france presumably right it would be getting shipped overseas it happened, though. I mean, sure. if you think about how long the, the the British royal family spoke German in the house. Think about all of poor Henry VIII's wives getting shipped in from Spain and Germany and whatnot. So what we what you ended up with was was Philip V, King of Spain, was actually the uh, you know a younger son of Louis the Dauphin, who Louis himself like it it ended up that the that the throne of france went to his grandson it's a good deal for him because he knows he's never getting the french throne but the problem with that is that um the actual the actual situation then in france starts to veer uh starts to veer away from a a clear a, a situation where there's a clear line of succession they through, changed the rules through the capes, and they they changed the rules a little bit. The the and and during this time also, there's a lot of sort of pushing back against um, Salic law, a desire to start being able to um, being able to have your uh, your children inherit, even even if it's a, a, an eldest daughter. Have you ever thought that maybe if it's only for sons, it should be called phallic law? I had never thought that. What if it's only for your son with a mustache and it's called Selic Law? Hmm. I also had never, ever thought that. I would never. I'm trying right now to get it out of my brain so I never think it again. It's not a great basis for government because you could, you know, somebody could shave a mustache and then suddenly they'd be ineligible for the throne. Or grow a mustache. And, and suddenly be, be the only one that could take over the throne. <laughs> like right now, if there were a throne in dispute between you and I... I would be the natural candidate. And it's not even something I could work on because my mustache would, would like, even with a few months to work on it, my mustache wouldn't be ready to go. That's one of the it's problems. It's not regal. 
One of the problems I've had uh, in recent weeks where I've taken considerable issue with the American police departments, police unions, policing in general, have been pretty vocal and active uh, in challenging police power. But unfortunately, I look like the sheriff of a Western mountain town and have a <laughs> sheriff's mustache and just look and just carry myself like a sheriff. And so everyone, no matter what you say, everyone assumes you're complaining about Antifa mm. coming into town to, to burn down the Applebee's. The problem is I don't look like a cop. Cops don't look like me anymore. It's just small. Sh- like I look like the sheriff of Vale. and and that's not a bad thing i look like an old-timey cop and i wish cops looked more like me now it'd be a it'd be a better world you don't have any punisher tattoos oh you're not doing white power signs i don't have a utility belt of any kind i've never ever ever gotten a high and tight haircut unless i am accidentally cutting my hair and i screw up unfortunately now all cops look like me oh that's right they do like what was the year when cops started looking, stopped looking like you and started looking <laughs> like me? I'm more of a John than a Ponch. Oh no! Uh, but uh, at the same time, you know, this kind of kicked off, um, or the the question of of this succession, and because Louis the Fifteenth didn't immediately succeed uh, from Louis the Fourteenth, there was. Um, there was some, he's only five. They had to wait for him to be potty trained. Well, the problem of this situation, I mean, as the Sun King lay kind of in his uh, on his deathbed, he watched the following happen: the Dauphin, his oldest son, died while he was on his deathbed. While he in in the last few years of his life, he died in seventeen eleven, and Louis Talk the about 14th, stealing focus. He he died four years, I guess, before his dad. Then a year after that, the Duke of Burgundy, who was the eldest of the Dauphin's sons. So his grandson. Or, who was then heir, right? Yeah. Who became heir, also died. And then Burgundy's oldest son, the Duke of Brittany, also named Louis, then died. All of this happened as Louis the Fourteenth was Coughing and also being very old and having dying. doctors look at his poop, which is how the Duke of Anjou became the uh, th- then the further Louis became the new king of Spain is Louis the, Louis the Fifteenth. But the problem was that uh, at the point at which Philip V was offered the throne of Spain, and Philip the Fifth being uh, like a son of the Duke of Burgundy, who was the son of the Grand Dauphin. What that created, and he and he was granted that because um, because King Charles II did not have an heir, and Charles II was something like his mother's brother's sister-in-law. Some shoestring relative. What that created in Europe was a was a tremendously uh, was an imbalance of power, which meant that now the Bourbon family was going to be on the throne of Spain and France, which was in, an intolerable uh, political situation in Europe. And it sparked the War of Spanish Succession, which we referenced a little bit in our German telegram. And that was the whole idea, to get bur- the Bourbons out of Spain because it's like when a sports league has too many like good teams in one division or whatever. You got to bounce one. You got to get one out. You need an expansion draft or something. 
Don, we were just talking about how you and I don't even have jobs, and yet we still have to do Zoom calls all the time nowadays. Yeah, and I, I when people talk to me on Zoom, I just I find my hand goes over to the volume knob <laughs> and just gradually inches it down lower and all lower. the way. Not all the way, but just so their voices are these tiny little whispers because I just I don't have the the capacity to hear people to hear people's thoughts and needs no and also the sounds are bad you know they're talking into their computers i'm just like oh this could always be quiet well imagine how it would be if you and i had desk jobs and we had to have morning staff meetings and like god forbid a weekly zoom happy hour i see it because there's a person in my household who starts at eight o'clock in the morning and is on zoom calls until six o'clock at night Every single day. I can't believe it. It's uh, unfathomable. And she seems to just do it with no complaints. There's got to be a better way. <laughs> Ken, do you have some insight into this? Is there I do. a better way? I want to demonstrate my new invention, water cooler. It's not my invention. I want to tell you about water cooler trivia. Oh, I thought you were about to say water torture trivia. And yeah. I, I was going to be very into it. Just torture your friends until they stop calling you. <laughs> no, if your workplace is having, you know, boring, dreaded Zoom get-togethers... Why not replace it with a trivia night was the idea that these these, oh. these three pub trivia nerds had. Instead of these terrible cocktail parties where everybody sits with a little umbrella in there. You need structure. Yuck. You need a little bit of structure. And so Water Cooler Trivia provides these weekly trivia contests that you can customize for your organization. They'll send you, uh, you know, you can you can personalize the the categories and the difficulty. Oh, or, what a good idea. Or even have them write stuff for your, you know, make fun of... Uh, Make fun of the guy in HR right. uh, category. But be careful making fun of any of your coworkers because that HR is going to get involved if it's too much fun. Yeah, don't make fun of HR. Make right. fun of somebody who is going to get fired anyway. <laughs> so, and people, I think people really like this. The they fact that, that there's, uh, I like trivia. Did you know that about me? Yeah, I did. I did know that about you. But other people, like normal people, love trivia, and they don't professionalize it and turn it into a thing. Hopefully, that makes them super arrogant. It's for the just, rest of it's their just lives. hitting a wiffle ball around for them, <laughs> and that's fine. Yeah, it's a good time. Yeah, it really is. Like even if you know, there's no prize, but there's the prize of like having something in your head come in handy in real life, right. or being surprised when a coworker knows a, a hard answer or tells a fun story about how she learned it. It's a bonding experience for a lot of people. It really is. And it's super easy to get started with water cooler trivia. It takes under 20 seconds to start and then you uh, to start up, and then you get a weekly quiz. Uh, and oh, wow. It's just on demand. It's on demand uh, over the internet. Uh, and we have a special deal for listeners Omnos that would like to try out water cooler trivia. This is really targeted advertising well done yeah i can't believe these guys found a <laughs> podcast hosted by one guy who's sick of zoom calls yes and one guy who uh likes trivia we cover both ends uh so you can try this out with no risk whatsoever because at watercoolertrivia.com slash omnibus you'll get four weeks completely free oh dang you don't even have to put in a credit card number try it out with your team and see if they like that better than the last awful zoom call uh, that's uh, that's a fantastic idea, and I'm actually going to recommend this to uh, to my domestic partner who's upstairs on a Zoom call right this minute. I'm going to say watercoolertrivia.com slash omnibus. Go interrupt her now during the call. She'll love it. <laughs> I'm going to pound on the ceiling with a broom. <laughs> Philip did become Philip V of Spain, and uh, then Philip begat uh, Charles III. Of Spain. Of Spain. Um, How do you decide when you're going to say Charles III or Charles III? 
Because you, you go back and forth. I really don't have... Well, now, wait a minute. I, I think that Philip begat Louis I of Spain. And he actually, even though it's it's not Louis, it's he's French. Or it's, it's in Spain. So it's, it's, it's Louis. Louis, right. <laughs> Hola. Even, even though it's a... Uh, even though at this point it's a French... A French throne mm-hmm. or a French, uh, it's a French family. It's a Spanish throne. It's got to be a bummer in Spain. Do you think he even spoke any Spanish? Uh, pro- maybe not at first, but you know, French was, was a diplomatic language in the royal houses of a lot of European nations at the time. Who knows what they spoke? Maybe they thought it was great. Oh, the king speaks French. This is the classiest we've ever had. Nobody spoke English. Thank God. I can go on and on. Let me just read you uh, some of my notes. Blah, 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 <laughs> blah, 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 blah. This is what I've been hearing for 20 minutes. I... One of the major problems was if you took a throne, you often were um, asked to renounce your rights to another throne. Sure. So Exclusivity. In, when, when Philip V as a member of the House of Bourbon, took the Spanish throne. He renounced his um, the right of his children to ever succeed to the French throne, in the hopes that they, that you know, the, keep the two sides apart. Yeah. Um, at um, at one point uh, during the War of Spanish Succession, it was it was sort of put forward that um, the Archduke Charles, who ended up becoming the Rome, well, Holy Roman Emperor had a better claim to the Spanish throne because his, um, because of some question of how old his grandmother was, and it ended up, uh, it ended up that that Philip had a better claim um, because he was grassy and wanted wear. <laughs> That's the thing I know about <laughs> Philip; he's grassy and wanted wear. Um, and the but the Austrians said that he had renounced his right but the but the he renounced his rights but the french claimed that that was based on the on the idea that there was a that his grandmother had paid a dowry or a dowry had been paid on behalf of his grandmother and so although she had renounced her rights that it was it was uh, uh, the the renunciation was invalid because the dowry had never been paid. I gotta say, this is still better than the electoral college. <laughs> uh, and all of this, at, I think, um, I think uh, after Philip had been king for a long time in Spain, he abdicated to his son Louis, his son Louis, who was um, who was supposed to. Kind of sp- the abdication was going to spare some of the the complications of the of the Bourbon, uh, yeah, you know, Huguenot cafe, all the complexity and job search that goes on, the Capulets and the Romulans. <laughs> uh, but then, unfortunately, his son Louis died only seven months later, and Philip had to regain the throne, and ended up uh, also holding. The the uh, holding a European throne for, um, for a really long time. The Spanish throne for for decades and decades. He was uh he was on the Spanish throne two separate times, but wow, um, like Grover Cleveland from seventeen hundred to seventeen twenty four. Then 
Lewis was there for seven months, and then from 1724 to 1746. So two separate really long reigns. That's how you know you picked the wrong guy to abdicate to. If they call you back out of retirement, (laughs) they pull you back in. Anyway, from there, the, the lines of the Spanish and French thrones go all kooky wawa. And of course, when Napoleon enters into the equation, like he kind of, he deposes the king of Spain, he deposes the king of France. Well, the revolution does first, right? The revolution uh, executes Louis the Sixteenth. Mm-hmm. Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette had uh, three kids. And the old, their oldest son died. Their youngest son or their younger son, who would have been heir to the throne, went through a kind of suffering like you would not believe possible. Like Anne of Green Gables style? Yes, although worse. Louis XVII um, was kind of kept as a prisoner by the, um, by the revolution. Not sure quite what to do with him. They they went through a period where they really wanted, um, they really wanted the story to be that he was a victim of abuse from Marie Antoinette and the royal family because they wanted, uh, they wanted him to delegitimize his parents by kind of testifying against them that they had sexually assaulted him. There was a lot of, uh, of like rumor about him having been uh misused and in particular like used as a in the uh, misused in the basement of a pizza parlor um and in the course of his you know short and miserable life he they kept him in a cage they um sort of tortured him in a in a lot of ways that that uh that feel pretty brutal and then this was this almost would qualify as a um as an omnibus effort, uh, episode in itself when he died um it was the tradition of the french family to cut the heart out of royals and keep it separately bury their body but keep their heart in a on your mantelpiece in a little vessel and so the the um the autopsy doctor kind of violating the revolutionary code secretly cut out the heart of Louis the 17th, Louis Charles. The doctor's a royalist. And smuggled it out. And then the heart of this little boy became a, um, became a thing that variously was, was, uh, you know, kept as a treasure, uh, uh, sort of a royalist um, artifact. Other times it sort of for a while got lost. There was at one point someone found it. Someone kept it in a bottle of wine for a while. And then it was sitting on a mantelpiece. Someone found it, put it in a crystal goblet. Um, Then for a little bit, it was in a sow's ear and a silk. Buried with a golden rabbit in in Sussex. Uh, So much so that of course there was a lot of, of a uh, question about whether it was really his heart. Well, isn't there a lot of question about whether that was really him who died? Are we going to get into that? Like it, it there, could have been a double, right? There was, it was. So that was the, um, that was the sort of 
the Romanoff princess scandal of the 19th century. Yeah. That perhaps, uh, that perhaps little Louis Charles had been spirited away and had not died in his, in his miserable little prison cell. And there were a couple pretty convincing pretenders to the, the French throne then, which, which, uh, because that French throne was reinstated, those contenders or those pretenders it would have been the king. Would have actually been the king during the the mid nineteenth century. Did you know that John James Audubon, bird painter extraordinaire, was one of the was one candidates of who got tossed around just because he happened to have been born in France at the same time and his parentage was a little confusing? So yeah, there was there was a claimant that was actually a Native American. Uh, there was one one of them had a claim because. Um, yeah, they were born in France at the time and they were at one point shown a picture of, uh, of the, the nanny that apparently tortured Louis Charles and he went into convulsions at seeing the picture. And that was seen as proof that he was. All you have to do to become king is go into convulsions at the right time. There were, there were a lot of, um, there were a lot of people vying for the throne, but in very recent years, a, uh, a DNA sample was taken from the preserved the 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 still extant preserved heart of Louis Charles which is now inside of a crystal urn and they took DNA samples from the family members of the various pretenders and they discovered that yes in fact this is Louis Charles's heart still in this crystal goblet and he he was he did die when when it's what you would expect said. yeah Switch, i don't believe in switcheroos and that's for soap operas it's a great story, though, the story of that heart bouncing around Western Europe for a while. Um, and I think we've just burned it here. You got to have heart. Oh, you were going to do it on Omnibus? Well, I mean, once I got into it, I was like, this is a this is an even better show than this uh, this dummy. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> this coke-sniffing dummy yeah, from Anjou. Louis Alphonse Gonzalve Victor Emmanuel Marc de Bourbon. That we're talking about. Should here. we go backwards from him? Like how how good do you think his claim is? So here is how he here's the line that he claims the succession. Where he is I'm looking at a picture of him and he looks handsome, but he looks kind of dumb. He's handsome and dumb. He's um he's a contemporary royal, which is to say kind of a playboy. Uh he's a guy that studied economics at a at a um, polytechnic school he works in a bank he's you know there's a lot of there are a lot of royals that get jobs in banking and business in Europe because they're because they're the glad handers right i mean they're probably not in a back room at a terminal making trades but it impresses yeah. possible new account holders yeah they have a they have a Windsor knot in their tie and um and they take people out to lunch uh our man, the Duc d'Anjou, is a cousin of the current king of Spain, and the current king of Spain is not very thrilled about him there. He lives in Spain. He was born in Spain. His father, Prince Alfonso de Bourbon, who also styled himself as the Duke of Anjou, was even more handsome than his son and a real playboy. He was, uh, he was like one of the adjudicators of the FIS, the Federation Internationale du Ski. And, um, and he actually died in a very Kennedy-esque way. Uh, he was shushing downhill at, um, was it Vail? 
I think it was. This is your jurisdiction. Did you investigate this? I did. He he had a he was on a slope um, that was off that was closed because they were setting up a downhill racing course, and someone had strung a wire across the course in order to hang the banner that said "Congratulations, winners!" Mission accomplished. And he. Uh, he skied into it and it didn't cut off his head, but it was at, oh, it was at Beaver Creek in Colorado, but it like, it like lacerated his neck and he died on the ski slope. If you think that's Kennedy-esque, I would like you to explain to me what you think happened to Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> he drove through a banner that he drove said, through a banner that said, congratulations, <laughs> President Kennedy. <laughs> Um, so, so but I mean, that's the problem with being one of these guys is you think you can just go down whatever hill you want. Right. Well, but, the, I'm, but I'm the second cousin of uh, the King of Spain. But because he was, um, because he was a ski dignitary. Is that a thing? There's a, there's a, <laughs> a ski dignitary. There were a group of people that were like, no, he was, he was authorized to be there because not only is he the pretender to the throne of France, but he's also like the. The chairman of the International Federation. There's a little circle of ski right away yeah. that follows him down the hill. Somebody said that they were skiing with him and they were like, hey, look out. You know, there's a there's a cable strung across the thing. And he looked he looked over and acknowledged it like, yeah, I see it. And then just skied right into it. See, that's privilege. That's anyway. the ultimate, <laughs> ultimate white privilege. Now, his father was the Infante Jaime, who was the Duke of Segovia. And he was the son of King Alfonso the Thirteenth, who was the last actual legitimate king of he Spain. He was deposed in the Spanish Civil War. Deposed in the Spanish by Civil Franco. War. Okay. Largely regarded as the worst king of Spain, just because he got overthrown by Franco. Not just that, but he also, um, like, he was the he was the one that kind of. Um, what, what, he said, et cetera, instead of et cetera? What's, what's so awful about him? About who? King Alfonso the Thirteenth? Infante Jaime. He was just no good. Oh, Infante Jaime was just, he, he was a pretender not only to the French throne, but also he was, um, he was the prince of Spain during the whole period where there was no prince of Spain. One of the goofiest things about Spain is they use Infante and Infanta for Prince and princess. Prince and princess. So it all just the, means all, baby. All the royals are named baby. <laughs> no one puts Infante Jaime in the corner. And what's very interesting about the about our hero, uh, the Duc d'Anjou, currently, is that his grandfather is also, uh, or, or his maternal grandfather is Franco. He married Franco's granddaughter. Whoa. Is that right? Is he just trying to unify? Or his father married Franco's granddaughter. Yeah, his fa- I think his, his father did. He's he is Fr- Franco's great grandson. Yeah, Franco's great grandson and also, you know, descended from the king of Spain, also the king of France. They're all it's all like this. King Alfonso was the last king deposed. His father King Alfonso II I just want to say you don't happen to marry Franco's gr- granddaughter. You that's that's a that's by design, right? Well, I mean, you're sitting around. Who do you know, right? <laughs> Who are your friends? Franco's um, granddaughter. There, there's a, there's a, there's a tricky little game that got played here. 
King Alfonso the third or the thirteenth was the last king. His father, King Alfonso the second, was the son of the of Francisco de Assis, the Duke gotta, of Cadiz. Wait, uh, Alfonso the thirteenth's father was Alfonso the second. I'm sorry, Alfonso the twelfth. Oh, okay, Alfonso the twelfth. I'm with you. Um, I don't want to erase Alfonso Duz. I don't want to erase nine Alfonsos. <laughs> um, uh, Alfonso the twelfth was the son of Francisco de Assis who is uh, is an example of a kind of um, a, an interesting little familial switcheroo. You see, King, w- w- when we were talking before about, um, about the fact that Philip abdicated to his son Louis, who died after seven months, and then Philip took back over the throne, when he finally died... He was succeeded by um, his half-brother, Ferdinand VI. Uh, And then the line of succession went from Charles III to Charles IV to Ferdinand VII, who was, I think, widely regarded as the worst Spanish king. He was the one that lost all of Spain's American territories, um, uh, territories in the Americas, and then was overthrown by Napoleon. Charles III was probably, I think, regarded as one of the greatest Spanish kings. Uh, Ferdinand, absolutely one of the worst Spanish kings. But what Ferdinand did was instituted a um, what, what he called the pragmatic sanction, which ensured the succession of his daughter, Queen Isabella. So he eliminated the Salic law restriction on a woman inheriting the throne. This caused, of course, a lot of problems among the, the um, legitimist crowd in Europe about who's, you know, what change in the rules, the change in the rules. And that's why, that's why our, our, uh, our hero Duke d'Anjou has a lot of people that claim he's not the legitimate heir, but, um, but Isabella too did take the throne on the uh, the death of her father Ferdinand the seventh. During that time, she was I mean she ascended to the throne at um, at a very young age. She was she became queen of Spain at the age of three, and so there was a lot of intrigue in her court among people that were uh, you know charged with her regents who were charged with, with raising her. And, um, and during that time, the it's, it's hard to respect a queen who will only eat, uh, only eat chicken, cheese. chicken McNuggets shaped like dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, King Ferdinand the seventh's brother, a man by the name of Infante Francisco de Paula, who turned out was a pretty good dude. Um, he conspired to have his oldest son, Mary, a three-year-old. Uh, Mary Isabella, when she became when she came of age, so four, and that's why that's why the Duke d'Anjou can claim uh, a bloodline through the male to to satisfy the the Salic requirement, the, the, the literalists or whatever, because his because Infante Francisco de Paula is the brother would be the eldest brother of of the King Ferdinand the seventh. 
So at that point, uh, we are back to Louis the Fourteenth because, and we're, we we got back to him from here to from from the present back mm-hmm. because we had worked from Louis the Fourteenth to the Dauphin to King Philip the Fifth to Charles the Third to Charles the Fourth and then then we were at Isabella and then through Infante Francisco de Paula we get to Francisco de Assis the Duke of Cadiz. Am I wrong that maybe his claim is not that great if it took us such a laborious time to figure it out? The thing is in researching all of this and I'm exhausted from having done it I realized that this is true of every single royal in the world. So it's it's not unique to him. No. It's a it is an insane truth about royalty that it is um it's an incredible shell game. There are people that are their their entire uh career is just tracing not not just tracing historical bloodlines, but um but even present day, trying to, to figure out who has the most legitimate claim to a defunct throne. And if you go and and look around the world, there are dozens and dozens of of thrones that no longer exist. The king of Burundi, the Are are you saying you're a claimant to the throne of Burundi? I hope. I haven't looked into it. You know, I, I want the I want the Mormons to track it down. Well, that's the problem. I mean, if it just rewards people who go to extraordinary lengths to prove their claim when they're, you know, the normals are just not going to put in that kind of time. I, I can't take weeks off from my fake job in a Swiss bank to, right. to establish my cl- uh, claim to the throne of Liechtenstein. Well, like the prince of the Hohenzollern family, who is ostensibly the king of Prussia, he's been suing the German government uh, for decades, trying to reclaim all of his family castles that were taken from him at the end of World War II and all their art. And the German government is pushing back and saying, weren't you, wasn't your grandfather a Nazi? And he's saying, no, it was, you know, it was the style of the times. I guess, I mean, writing crazy letters to the government in hopes of getting a check is, is you know, it's... It's not unique to these kind of guys. But the thing about the prince of the Hohenzollerns, like he works in a bank somewhere as the, as a guy in a Windsor knot, but he actually owns a soccer team. Three quarters of the Hohenzollern castle, which who knows what that generates in in t-shirts and and uh bottle openers every year. He can't like turn it into condos or anything? I don't think so, and I think part of that problem is that a quarter of the castle is owned by the cadet branch of the Hohenzollerns, the, the Savoy, the Savoys or the, the, um, Savvy Yards, whoever. But this dope, the Duke of Anjou, he Good thinks, old Duke of Anjou. Let's thinks, get back to he him. He thinks he should be King of France. He is the, a, an, a, a post that does not exist. Among the, so there's a whole school of people that believe that what France needs, what Germany needs what uh what we need in the modern day is a strong constitutional monarch and because a, a symbolic figure that n- unites the nation or like they want this guy writing laws uh a symbolic figure but but i think contemporary monarchists we as americans we're so accustomed to and i think as just modern liberals we're 
we're accustomed to thinking that the progression away from monarchy and toward participatory democracy is an inevitable one. And kind of over. And a, yeah, a historical one and an inevitable one. But, you know, it's, it's, um, it's extremely recent, really, that all this has happened. 150 years. 1848 was when a lot of the monarchies of Europe went away. But, but very recently, I mean, if you think about the King of Spain, that's a, they reinstituted the monarchy as a kind of... In order, in order to have some kind of uh, stable institution right. that, that everybody can be on board with because he doesn't do anything too controversial. Right. He is a post-Franco figurehead of the country, and within Spain, at least, being a conservative Catholic nation, there was enough support at the time to put in a figurehead king that it made sense to do. There are lots of people in France, I'm not going to say more than 20%, but there are plenty of conservative people in France that would love there to be a monarch. They just want somebody on teacups. Yeah, the House of Bourbon. And particularly if he's a handsome playboy that, um, you know, that will give the tabloids some fodder. Um, and so there's actually a competitor uh, who has a who has a competing claim to the throne uh, of France? Who um, who's out there right now somewhere? You know, making a. Uh, I think that I think that most people agree that the that Henri d'Orléans, the Count of Paris, who just recently died in two thousand nineteen. Uh, that his claim to the throne is less, but you know, there's a, there's so many different twists and turns. That, there's a bunch of these guys. So, uh, so, but to, to if imagine, I was Emmanuel Macron, I would not be quaking in my boots at the thought of any of these guys. No, although Macron actually said at one point, and it may have been an off the cuff remark or some kind of, he may have been just sort of throwing it out there, but he said at some cocktail party, like what France really needs is a King just to, Give everybody like it's because he doesn't want to be at that cocktail party. He's like that way I can be at work. I don't have to go to this thing. It would be a, there's a nice bonus by the way because if uh, if one of these guys, the Count of Paris or the Duke of Anjou, ever did take over the French throne, you know, he also would become co-prince of Andorra. Right, Andor Andorra does have a kind of a, a monarchy that is always split between the French head of state and the Spanish head of state. Currently. I guess King Felipe of Spain and the president of France. So you would also be co-prince of Andorra. That's pretty good. There, there's nothing like that in the U.S. The thing is, if you were to become prince of Andorra, I mean, Andorra is just one giant ski resort. So it would only be a matter of time. Watch out for those banners. And that concludes the Duke of Anjou. Entry 386.EC0804, certificate number 24409, in the omnibus. Now, uh, without social media, we never would have seen the Duke of Anjou tweeting bad hashtags about his bad brand. So, thank you, Twitter. Uh, I guess John's back on Twitter now. He's at John Roderick. Not anymore. I hate it so much. Uh, You had a week of of finding it energizing you and... uh, there was a there was a week during the 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 very beginning of the police riots of 2020, um, where Twitter became very focused and clear and and purposeful, and everyone 
uh, seemed to be pulling together. And then, oh boy, it came unraveled so fast. And it just turned right back into a squabbling, you know, hen house of, um, a hen house full of ferrets. And or me, a ferret house full of hens. And me promoting my book. And probably. then you and they're like being funny and saying, hey, check out Connections. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when I tweeted about the the podcast about Omnibus, you were like, "Hey, just so you know, uh, uh, it's just a distraction." The the thing about the thing about it, Ken, is I'm you know in these trying times in in this economy, all I can all I have to do I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to be woker than you. <laughs> That's tough, though. I know. That's tough. You set the bar pretty high. Uh, we are also at Omnibus Project on Twitter and so forth. You can, uh, hang out with your fellow futurelings on Facebook, on uh, Reddit or Discord. Just look for the word futurelings and you'll find people complaining about something, probably. Uh, you can uh, send us email at theomnibusproject at gmail.com. If you want to send us physical things, we have a P.O. box for that. Somebody, somebody anonymous just uh, Amazoned us uh, Eric Larson's book about the Battle of Britain about the uh, about the Blitz. Oh, the Splendid and the Vile. And but I don't know who it's from because I don't think it had a little from thing in it. So, Which of so us? Please tell us who sent you, who sent us this Churchill book. What I'm what I'm impressed by, I think, is that people are realizing that I'm not the only old dad on this show. They're sending you lots of old dad stuff too. You're older, but I'm more of a dad. I'm twice as much you're, of a dad. You're twice. You're double dad, unless you have like five secret kids dotting the west. Also, of the two of us, which of us is more likely to be painting figurines when they're in their sixties? I think it's you. Are they on a railroad table? Because <laughs> if they are, it's you. <laughs> I might have a model railroad. Are they but fighting you, orcs? You already that might be me. You already have figurines all around your desk. You have a little figurine of a man pooping right there. Yeah, but somebody sent me this guy. Maybe this guy should be the heir to the King of Spain. Some Catalonian guy uh, just oh. pooping on the ground. Oh, Christmas poop. That's a pretty good. That's a pretty good claim. Oh, I just got an email about this, Ken. The Splendid and the Vile was sent to us by Emily friend and supporter of the show and i have it right here she's also the director of the south sound reading foundation if you would like to support uh that enterprise south sound reading foundation it looks like um looks like it's a literacy thing for middle schoolers maybe Mm -hmm. i don't know go to southsoundreading.org thank you for the book emily We'll read it together. Ken will sit on my lap and I'll read it aloud to him. Uh, I don't know what else we got. Somebody sent us stickers for Stockton, California, but they also did not say their names. Uh, we, since we did the joy of cooking, Mike sent us uh, a recipe card for banana bread, which has like, it's, it's in beautiful artistic form. Ooh like, la la. The front of the postcard shows all the ingredients. And then the back has the... Uh, and it says, add desired amount of chocolate chips. So I'm very into this kind of I banana bread. I will come bread. right out and say, I love banana bread. I accidentally bought grapes today at Costco when we already had grapes. And I told my wife, hey, uh, just wait till they get, if we don't eat them all, just wait till they get mushy and then make grape bread. And she did not think that was a good idea. You, you even dad joke your wife? I mentioned street. I only dad joke my wife. If it weren't for the fact that you are, uh, you are devout and married in, uh, you, and your marriage is consecrated. She would have divorced you a long time ago. Yeah, that's the only reason. 
don't if we'd know. just been married in front of a justice of the peace. Yeah, if you'd just you had some Vegas wedding, it'd be it'd be split up a long time ago. Uh, I guess I mentioned being born in May on when we talked about streaking because that was the number one song at the time of my birth. And so uh, Julie sent me a uh, a birthday card with uh, like a five dollar bill in it, like my grandma oh, used to. Oh, how sweet! And all my grandmas are dead. So in the manner of the Salak Law, Julie, you are now my grandma. I you know I don't think did I celebrate your birthday? Did I? Did I give you a, um, did I make a, a big cake for you that said happy birthday, Ken, and bring it to you? I'm trying to remember. Oh, no, no. Instead of doing that, gifts. you did nothing. Oh. Now, now I remember. Oh. Bummer. You love grocery store sheet cake. Why didn't you bring me one? I should mention that you showed up today at the bunker with a box of donuts, which was a huge hit here. At Shea Roderick Robison. You immediately carved them all into quarters to make sure everyone got to try all the donuts. And I'm a big fan of that maneuver. Yeah, my, because, you know, my my daughter's impulse was to start staking out which donuts were hers. And in order to, in order to just cut the baby in two, I said everybody gets a quarter of everything. We also got a note from... I don't know if I can read the... Signature Nerlene. Nerlene. That's my favorite. Um, no, Austin. Nerlene. Nerlene. It's my, it's my favorite Dolly Parton song. Maybe Austin. Wait a minute. You can't tell whether it's Austin or Nerlene. Well, look at this. <laughs> Austin slash Nerlene loved the De Havilland Beaver episode. Okay. But I think he or she also must have loved the um, the Snow Valley episode because he or she sent us an Oklahoma State flag. Uh, small. Is it? I don't know. Is this, is this against the federal flag code to fold up the Oklahoma flag and and send it through the mails? Mm, I don't think. Je me souviens. And also some, also some Pokemon cards. Uh, are we not reading these letters until we uh, we read the letters? Do we read the letters on on our uh, our addenda episode available to Patreon subscribers? Not, not usually physical mail. Why would do? What, what would you like to read? Well, he says uh, he or she because it's unclear whether that says Nerlene or or Austin. Or Austin. <laughs> or uh, uh, aubergine. Um, so it says love omnibus. Period. Best podcast, comma. But what is with the endings being so abrupt? Do we have abrupt endings? Uh. Just kidding. Oh, that was a pretty good one. That's though. not the end of the episode. It should have been the end of the episode. If we were, if we had any guts, that would have been it. Uh, no, it would have been too abrupt. We don't like that. And neither does Nerlene slash Austin. Well, Ner- Nerlene has great handwriting, I will say. Although, and I'm a fan of, of cool handwriting. The P's and the J's are very cool. But that, I think that that, that, um, I think that that signature says, Our Jalou, uh, Gosek. Our Jalou Gosek. Our Jalou Gosek. Thank you, Our Jalou, for your opinion on our, uh, endings oh no i recognize the last name this actually says hayden oh hayden this is nerlene hayden you can see why i would make the obvious mistake Mm -hmm. and it's also because they don't teach kids cursive anymore in school that i cannot read this oops no this is the uh, schoolmate of my sons who said he would give dylan pokemon cards if we recorded a show about oklahoma ski culture oh it's that hayden the the uh the the blackmailer and so, the, well, is it a blackmailer if you if you promise to reward someone? Oh, oh no, I guess you're right. Uh, he, well, but 
We're the ones that were victims of that extortion. It's true. Dylan blackmailed us. Right. Except he doesn't have any dirt on us. He Right. He just extorted us. He was just annoying. That's yeah. Not, it's, yeah, but it's, it's, still. It's, a, it's a kind of light blackmail. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for sending uh, sending Dylan these uh, Pokemon cards. Hayden, we will consider our business concluded. Thank you, Hayden. You can also... Uh, what did I not say? You can contribute to our Patreon. John mentioned the addenda episodes we've been doing once a month. See, si. Those are available to those who... who Give a mere pittance. What? A mere pittance. A sou. Oh. Un, un sou. Un, uh, un écu. What? What? Un, un, un petit franc. Uh, pour le, le podcast. Un, uh, le, le centième. <laughs> <laughs> I stole a loaf of bread to save my sister's son. Uh, so if you... Uh, have the wherewithal to support the show, we would appreciate that. You can donate at patreon.com slash omnibus project and, and, uh, and immediately listen to the, I think we've done seven of the addenda episodes. This They're is so fun. They're month. so good. One of the nice <laughs> things, so good. one of the nice things about the addenda episodes is that because Ken is the, the, uh, the postmaster, um, the episodes do not have the usual one is led by Ken. Then one is led by me. They're all led by Ken, and it's wonderful. I'm consolidating my power. Then I get to sit across the table and go, what? No way! You're like the Count of Paris with the worst claim. Yeah, instead of having to sit here and go, now Hugh Capet seventeenth. ugh. Did I also... My did brain I, is melted. Did I mention our note-free Stockton, California stickers that we got? Because we also Stockton. got we also got stickers celebrating Stockton, California. I've played a show in Stockton, California. Maybe two shows in Stockton, actually. And these stickers are amazing, but isn't Stockton kind of awful? Stock. Well, it depends if you're from Stockton. I mean, you know, the Stockton puts the stock back in Stockton. It wasn't there before. <laughs> it's uh, it was just ton. It's cowboys, you know. It's Americans, futurelings, from our vantage point in your distant past. We have no idea how long our civilization survived. When we started this show a couple of years ago... Like this episode? (laughs) (laughs) It seemed... (laughs) When we started this episode a couple of years ago, it seemed like our civilization was in jeopardy. But now... Things are going great. (laughs) We take it all back. 2020 has been amazing. 2002 was amazing and 2020 is amazing. I won that Jeopardy tournament and then everything has just gotten better and better since since my term in office began. Yep, it was great. And it was a wonderfully, uh, it was a a importune time for Ken to become America's most celebrated trivia artist because... You're just traveling the world, making money, collecting all your accolades. Does an importune time mean it was both important and opportune? Uh, An importune time means, yes, that it is important, opportune, um, importune, and opportunate. And in in poor taste. Yes. It it was importantude. It has importitude. It was full of importitude. Um. Importune is a verb, isn't it? Meaning to uh, what? Beg? Yeah, I I Plead? meant opportune time. It's not an importune time. It could be a time to importune our listeners to help me get out of this now. The longest episode we've ever done, although characterized by a couple of really long pauses. If 
this is the last omnibus episode. If this is the last one, we'll probably switch the order around. <laughs> uh, we hope and pray that the catastrophe we fear may never come. But if the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, may have been our final word. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in the omnibus.